And welcome to a late week edition of the Wolves After Dark podcast. We are going to bring you an episode featuring all of the week that was and all of the week ahead. The Wolves finally knocked off a victory. They held a third quarter lead. I know, uh, buy some lottery tickets, all that sort of good luck stuff. They beat the Magic Wednesday night. They held a 30-point lead. Tyus actually played more point guard than Chris Dunn, which we'll touch on. Levine was on fire, 37 points. He and Andrew Wiggins have been absolutely lighting it up on the offensive end from the wing. They're going to need every bit of that firepower this weekend when they, they go to Target Center to take on the L.A. Clippers, one of the hottest teams in the NBA, if not the hottest team in the NBA, 7-1 and one right now. They are playing ridiculously well with their only loss being a terrible shooting night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russ had a good game, but man, was it a brutal slog in that game, and they probably should have won it anyway. So the Clippers are playing like one of the best teams in the league. What do the Wolves need to do to necessarily have a chance in that game looking ahead? Well, if we're going to look ahead to the Clippers there... To start, you have to get some semblance of control on, on their big three, which is DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and Chris Paul. Now, the the Wolves have they've kind of developed a big three of their own. Uh, you know, you look at the last two weeks, Levine, Wiggins, and Towns have kind of, they've kind of taken it upon themselves to be like the big three, and it's been really impressive. So it'll be it'll be key, though, for them to to shut down those three. I think if you shut down them, You've got a very good shot, at least, at beating them. But the Clippers are so deep, and they've got so many shooters that, you know, it's a, it's it, there's a very good reason why they are seven and one this season. And you know, the Clippers have a greater degree of depth than they have in recent years. They've always had a problem at the small forward. It's been well documented. They've run guys like Wes Johnson and Jeff Green, and uh, I think right now it's Luke Mbamute who did make a brief stop in Minnesota. They're, they haven't necessarily filled that any better than they have in recent years, but they're bringing guys off the bench. Austin Rivers is playing well. Of course, the stalwart, Jamal Crawford, the immortal one, the multi-time winner of the six Man of the Year awards, playing fairly well. And really, though, it comes down to with them, they have four top... I mean, they have a starting lineup that is competitive with anybody in the NBA, uh, especially if you take out, remove from consideration, the small forward position. And it's going to come down to... The Wolves have had trouble with some physical play, not even necessarily from Towns and Gorky, but just teams that go at them, drive the ball, are able to rebound, get on the offensive glass, and nobody gets on the offensive glass better than does DeAndre Jordan. And DeAndre Jordan has given them trouble in, in the past couple of years. And so it's going to come down to are they able to corral him? Are they able to get out on Redick that he's not hitting shots? Are they able to contain Blake in transition? And is Chris Dunn and or, well, Rubio's getting healthy. They say he uh, may be ready for tomorrow night against the Clippers. Uh, I see it's probably a long shot. It's probably Chris Dunn again one more night. Yep. So is Chris Dunn able to stay in front of Chris Paul? And increasingly, is Tyus Jones able to stay in front of Chris Paul? And Chris Paul is really the embodiment of what we worried about uh, Tyus being able to guard when he came into the league. He is a physical guard. He's an intelligent guard. Not to say that Tyus is not an intelligent guard. Uh, he probably is one of the smart or highest basketball IQ players on the team, but he just doesn't have the physical fortitude to stay in front of Chris Paul necessarily. So that'll be something again to watch. But on the plus side, Towns is rounding into form. He's up way up there in the league in PR efficiency ratings. He's scoring points. He's, yeah, I mean, he's efficient on all ends of the floor like we thought he would be. He's playing better on defense, better in rotation. I think he's going to be a staple going forward. I think he just got off to a little bit of a rough start trying to figure out what would what was going to happen as teams double teamed him on virtually every play. And now it'll become a matter of integrating where the ball distribution is going to go between him, Wiggins, and Levine. How do you see that dynamic continuing to play out? Is it just going to be who's hitting shots on any given night, matchups and that sort of thing? Or do you think that they're going to kind of start isolating one guy more so than the other guys? I mean, I think that Towns is, is still going to, he's still going to get his 20 points a night. I mean, that's that's a given. He's far too talented 
and far too massive to to not. I mean, he's he gets all points from all areas of the floor. I mean, if he's not grabbing the offensive rebound and slamming it home, I mean, he's hitting those those jumpers. We've seen him hit threes this year, which we knew he had, but he's he's hitting them pretty consistently, which is great. Um, you know, I, I I don't see any any issues with with Towns getting his points. My issue, the biggest thing that I've seen so far is is Wiggins, is that he's he's taking a lot of shots. He's getting a lot of points, obviously, but he, he's making those points on a lot of shots, and that's Wiggins has kind of been the streakiest of all. I mean, if you look at Levine, you look at Towns, you look at um, Towns, Levine, and Wiggins. Those are the three the three big big point getters on your team right now. Unless you want to count Shabazz Muhammad, who has come off the bench and done great things for you know Minnesota so far this year. Um, but Wiggins has been the one that I'm most concerned about. Just in that you know he can tend to be a little bit streaky with his scoring. But I see Towns, you know, just being his dominant self. He's really rounding into form. And the thing that I'm really looking forward to Saturday night or tomorrow night is going to be DeAndre versus Carl Anthony Towns because DeAndre's a proven guy. Uh, you know, obviously he's his biggest area of weakness is as as nobody is is not aware of is his free throw shooting. Um, but he can dominate the he can dominate the offensive and defensive glass. He can get buckets inside. He can run the floor. He's a very very good center. And Carl Anthony Towns is is right there with him. So it'll be very interesting to see those two go at each other. I I, I think that Carl will have a, a solid night. He's not going to have a, a fantastic, you know, 40-point night against him, but I could see him probably getting, you know, 18, 20 points against DeAndre, and I think Levine's going to do have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. But aside from that, um, I think that I, I think there's going to be a lot of good balance, and that's the biggest thing is just getting that, maintaining that balance, which I think they can do. I have two items of curiosity regarding what DeAndre and the use of DeAndre is going to look like tomorrow night, and that first and foremost, he is, I think I touched on it briefly uh, earlier, he is the embodiment of the guy that Towns has struggled with if he's struggled with anybody on the defensive end so far. Yep. And even on the offensive end, it's guys who are more physical and longer and as athletic as he is and guys who can uh, bang around with him in the post. What I do, what I am curious about is with Towns's more free-flowing use of range and spreading out to 18 and even three-point range, is he going to be able to draw DeAndre Jordan away from the basket, which is a huge inhibitor of what he does on defense? And that also raises the question, is DeAndre Jordan then going to guard Gorgie Jang and they're going to put somebody else on Carl Anthony Towns so that DeAndre can hang out more around the basket? But who? Is it going to be Blake then? Is it Blake? Do they bring somebody off the bench? I mean, it seems in the starting rotation, at least, it's going to be Blake or DeAndre. I mean, it'll just be an interesting chess match, and I think that's one of the things that you look for Tibbs to take advantage of is how can you move around the chess pieces a little bit to take DeAndre out of his comfort zone, uh, maybe get Carl post-ups against Blake in the low block, because Blake is a freak athlete, but he's not necessarily the strongest guy in the low block, so that's a place where Carl could uh, take advantage. And also, Gorgie can hit the 18-footer, so even if DeAndre guards Gorgie, he can spread it out a little bit. I think they're going to have a lot of success on offense, even against the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers have been playing pretty very solid defense. They've got a good system. They've got guys who absolutely know how they play together and how each piece fits together. This brings me back to what Andrew Wiggins has done so far and what he's going to continue to do. You know, he has taken a lot of shots, but he has been freakishly efficient. I mean, he's shooting 47.5% from the floor. If he does that, he'd be a top 10 scorer in the league. He's shooting a league high 64% from the from the three-point line, and obviously, you know, that won't continue. That'd be, that would destroy NBA records by a margin we haven't even seen. But, I mean, 
at the efficiency rate he's having to right now, I don't have a problem with him shooting. He's so crisp on the mid-range right now. He's confident in his stroke from three. So if he's doing that, I, I, I'm fine with him trying to score all the time. Where I do think that your point that he is taking a lot of volume, uh, has a lot of merit, is in those bad stretches, particularly in the third quarter, they tend to say they tend to just dish him the ball on the wing and say, go get it. And they don't run the the flow and the offensive sets that seem to get him the open shots that he's knocking down so well. They, for some reason, stop using pick and roll and just try to isolate. And it, it, Tibbs has touched on it in his uh, press conferences and his uh, associations with the media that they need to commit to the sets. They need to be able to commit together and not try to go isolation all the time. But I don't understand why that's not a, a focus in... And maybe it's just that they're young and they get a little uh, put on their heels when other teams make a run. But if he can and the whole team can figure out how to continue those offensive sets that he's been so successful in early. I'm just fine with him taking the number of shots, especially uh, when they're in those uh, bad stretches, because he's right now one of the best pure scorers in the entire NBA, and that's not any sort of hyperbole. Uh, he's getting it done from the line. He does need to shoot a higher percentage, obviously, but he's getting yeah. to the line as the well as anybody. Be, the line has to improve. The line has to improve from everybody, the entire team. The it, team. Yep. It, has, it has been a major problem. As much as it has been overblown percentage-wise, they hit... They miss a lot of free throws in crucial times that would have really put them in better contention, a better spot in the game. I think five out of seven games they've hit crucial free throws that have really inhibited their ability to be competitive and be right there in late-game situations. Regarding where we'll see Wiggins go tomorrow, he is matched up with that preeminent small forward position. Now, Mbamute is a much better defensive player than he is offensive player, but he's not a defensive player of the caliber that Andrew Wiggins is an offensive player. So I, I don't think there's any reason that Andrew Wiggins doesn't continue to score off the charts again tomorrow night. And, you know, the Clippers do play better team defense than a lot of the teams that they've seen so far, but he's in his own right now. I see that keeping going. And if they do put better defenders on him, that opens up lanes and opportunities for Zach Levine, who has been, I mean, his degree of shot difficulty right now seems to be a little higher than Wiggins. But he's also shooting 46% from the floor, which is fantastic. 49% from three, which is outrageous. I mean, Kyle Korver has the record at just over 50%. It'll be interesting to see when those numbers inevitably regress to the mean. One, how far they regress back to the mean. And two, if they can continue to make defensive improvements that will mitigate some of that regression. And that really brings me to one kind of the crux, I think, of today's episode is how are we going to start getting better on defense? Because that has been kind of the major. They've been scoring plenty of points. The problem is they're giving up uh, a lot of points to teams that aren't necessarily juggernauts even on offense. This isn't. They didn't play Golden State and... They did play Oklahoma City, but even Oklahoma City is not a fraction of the offensive team they were with Kevin Durant. So what do we need to start seeing to see improvements on defense? And is it a matter of young guys trying to figure out a set a scheme, or do you see isolated things that they need to improve directly to make changes that they can do in the short term? Well, I think when talking about we when you and I were talking before this show here, uh, the biggest thing is is they they seem to lose the ability to guard the pick and roll at times, and it's it shocks me because. The pick and roll is is one of the easiest plays in basketball to run, and a lot of teams use it a lot of the time. So how they're not able to defend it with the guys that they have too. I mean, you've got some very, very good defenders in Andrew Wiggins, in Chris Dunn, in Carl Anthony Towns. So why they're not able to defend it at times absolutely surprises me. But if, if they can get that going, I mean, that's a good place to start at least. There have been times where, you know, they haven't, quite had the help that they need, they haven't rolled the right way, or they don't help out on the wings, things like that. Those are small things that can be made, and those are small things that I'm, I'd honestly just write off as, you know, still learning, younger players and stuff. Um, and 
more than anything, and the thing that I think gets kind of lost at times is that this team still has not played together all that much. Yes, Wiggins and Levine and Carl have, you know, they played together all last season. But now you've got a guy like Chris Dunn coming in. Gorgie is firmly planted now as the four. He wasn't necessarily last season. He kind of split time. They were trying to work Adrian Payne in as well, which, you know, how that experiment went last season, I think everybody is well aware it didn't quite work out that well. But, you know, he's back this season. So trying to work guys in and out of the lineup and stuff last season, kind of figure out what talent you had, that made it a little bit difficult. And I think that now that they've got a set roster and a set lineup, um, they'll be able to actually start gaining that 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 chemistry that, you know, I mean, you look at a team like Los Angeles, they're so good defensively because they played together for so long. How long now have we heard the the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, you know, dunk show going on in L.A.? And the reason why is because they've played so well together for so long, they just know where the other's going to be. They know what their what their tendencies are, what this player likes, what that player likes. And that's something that the Wolves don't necessarily have yet. So I think as the season progresses and as they get more comfortable, as they know where Wiggins is going to be, where his town's going to be, you know, okay, where's Shabazz at? As they start to learn this and become more comfortable and gain that defensive chemistry with each other, I think that's going to help a lot. Yeah, I agree. And regarding the pick and roll specifically, you touched on it a little bit. And that it seems like one of two things are happening and that a guard especially will get into the lane and either three guys will collapse on him or they'll leave they'll do a light uh, a switch from guard to guard and a physical guard will be able to kind of run over whoever is out on the perimeter and i think that's where getting rubio back will be important because rubio is both crafty enough and large has enough length to kind of match up with those off ball screens and he's not going to get lost in the shuffle that guys will be able to go right by him and create and when when they do collapse three guys all on one instead of kind of just bringing one guy over to help and cut off the pick they leave themselves vulnerable to little dish passes and dunks or layups or offensive rebounds where guys are out of position and the opposition can kind of bring the ball down and either dunk it or kick it out to a wide open three because the rotations are off. And so I think you know, I think that just comes with time and that figuring out who needs to attack the ball to cut off the pick and roll or the guy coming down the lane and then who needs to rotate to make sure that there's not a secondary pass that leaves them vulnerable and it seems like those third quarters are so often that it's those simple sets that are causing them trouble and that they begin to start reeling. They seem to lose focus of how to operate and defend those pick and rolls or other offensive sets. And they lose guys in transition. Guys are hitting open threes. And then, of course, they're they're still having a little bit of trouble cleaning up the offensive glass. So it's just a matter of locking things down, becoming productive, uh, and getting a sense for what each guy's role is on defense and then being able to do that with multiple lineups because it's easy enough to say that they'll figure it out all as a starting lineup, but when you start to mix in guys like Cole Aldridge and Shabazz Muhammad and the uh, backup gardens, and I really hope Brandon Rush brings it back because he's going to be helpful on the wing, and I know I know that part of the knock against him was that he doesn't stay on the court, but hopefully this will be one of the every other years that he does stay on the court because uh, they could really use a shooting right now. Here's what I'd like to know, and this is a, this is a question I want to pose to you because you touched on it very briefly there. In the third quarter, it's like their defense disappears. Now, blame it on starting the second half, whatever it may be, but what is it that you have seen that has caused them to struggle so much in the third quarter? Because and it's you can it's offensively as well, but but for for the sake of this argument here, we're just going to we're going to touch on their defense and defensively, especially against the Magic. Now, again, we were talking before the show and the Magic, they are not the the 
Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson shooters that you would expect. They do not make a lot of jump shots. I mean, you look at their starting five. It was Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier, Serge Ibaka. I mean, these are not guys that you are going to expect to to step out and hit 16, 18-foot jumpers all day, every day. So the fact that they were able to start getting open looks, start getting into the lane, I mean, what was it defensively that you saw that that even not even just in the Orlando game but throughout the entirety of the season that has been so difficult for them to get going? Well, and the really concerning part is that it's been against the starting five for the most part. They run the starting five out for the start of the third quarter all the time, and it's that group that's giving up all of these points on defense. And especially in the Sacramento game with Cousins and in the Orlando game, they've had trouble cleaning up the offensive glass. Clean up the glass on both ends, frankly, because on offense, when they miss, when they don't get defensive rebounds and allow offensive rebounds, it allows for quick putbacks or wide open shots uh, by guys kicking it back out. We saw that all the time with Ty Lawson. We saw it a little bit with Fournier. Uh, Serge Ibaka hit a couple shots from mid-range. And once they get kind of reeling, they see the same pattern, they lose their defensive discipline, and they allow all kinds of rotation. They allow basically the best way I can say it is things that the Wolves' defense did last year, where they were out of position, they were allowing open shots. When they get on their heels, it seems like they revert back to a lot of those those same tendencies. And... Until they're able to corral that, we're going to see a lot of the same defensive performances in those stretches as we did. I mean, it's hard to absolutely put a finger on because they do seem to mostly correct it by the beginning of the fourth quarter. But it's almost like they say, okay, here we go again, and fault into those same patterns. And regarding the inability to grab offensive rebounds in any capacity and let the other team clean up on the glass, that lets the other team get out in transition all the time. And it seems like they're giving up a lot more transition buckets, transition three-point looks when they get in these same funks. So it's it's a dynamic thing. It's not, and it, no matter if it's Tyus at point guard, if it's Chris Dunn at point guard, if they try to bring Jordan Hillary, Paul Aldrich off the bench, it's the same group. And so it's almost like it's it's almost like it's a mindset thing more than it is a discipline thing. And that they demonstrate that they can do it well for long stretches. It's just a matter of learning to sustain it for 48 minutes. And maybe that's a Tibbs thing in that what he's been so good at is getting guys to play for 48 minutes. But again, trying to make these grand conclusions that they're still a, a work in progress on defense. Well, they are a work in progress on defense, but a, a lost cause on defense through seven games. Maybe that isn't the best operating philosophy and that we need to give it a quarter of a season at least before we make grand proclamations about how far away they are on defense. No, absolutely. I mean, you can't judge anything off of off of the six, seven games that they've played. That's just not going to happen. You can't do that, especially with a team this young, a team that is still learning. They are still learning a new system. You know, I mean, Tibbs is, he is a very, very good coach, but he's not going to be able to, in six games, make them into championship contenders. It just doesn't work that way. So, you know, they'll continue to progress, but in your opinion, is this is that partially then what contributes to their offensive staleness in the third quarter? Because I mean, you talk to some of the you've heard from some of the best players, you know, in the NBA, the LeBron James, the Dwayne Wade's, the Chris Pauls, and they've all said, you know, good defense translates to good offense. And is it the fact that maybe they're they're playing such lackluster defense I mean is that contributing then to their poor offense or you know like you said is it strictly just a mindset thing I think Tibbs touched on it he identified it after twice last week within the last week and a half or so and that when they get on these bad runs on offense speaking on offense only they go into these isolation sets that all three Towns Wiggins and Levine especially all go into these sets where they're trying to be the one that say okay I have to get a basket on this one we got to stop the run right now and that what savvy veterans like LeBron James, like Dwayne Wade, 
whatever, anybody from the Miami Mafia, Kobe Bryant, whoever you want to say. What they're so good at is they go back to the things that they know, the things that they have done for years and years, the things, the skills that they are incredibly good at. You know, the pin down screen that gets Kevin Durant that turnaround jump shot at the free throw line that Oklahoma City used in the fourth quarter that it became so predictable at playoff time. It works for most of the regular season because he's so good at it. And I think the Wolves are still trying to figure out when we are reeling like that, who do we go to? What set do we run? How are we going to operate that we know we can get a clean look at the bucket and quell this run against us and get our bearings back on defense? Now we can run back, get in a set position. We're not letting up any transition buckets because we hit a couple shots. And I think they're still, I think it just is truly a matter of figuring out how they're going to play, especially those big three, are going to play with each other and who's going to take the shot when they're struggling and what set and how they're going to arrive at that shot. And I do think that that, I I do think the defensive struggles lead a little bit into them pressing on the offensive end, taking shots that they hadn't been taking throughout the more successful first and second quarters. And that's a large contribution to why they're struggling on offense at the same time it seems that they're reeling on defense. Because it rarely seems like they're doing both at the same time. They're either scoring and playing defense defense well simultaneously, or it seems like they are going south in the direction fast, and that's why they blow these leads as fast as they do. So in your opinion, then, who's who's the guy that's going to take that shot? I mean, uh, obviously, Levine's been, been shooting well. Wiggins is an efficient shooter. The You know, like we touched on already, one of the most efficient shooters in the league right now. Towns is, I mean, people praise him beyond belief and for good reason, but... but these are three guys that could easily, easily get get points whenever they seemingly want to. So, you know, who who do you want to see taking that shot? Then is it you know do we go down low? Do we go to the post and let you know Carl uh, Anthony do his thing, or is it something where we need to have Wiggins you know kind of post up and do what he was doing late in the year last year, or you know do we let Levine just take it and shoot? What would you like to see out of that? You know, the easy answer I think is to say throw it down in the post, let Towns work. But I think they've tried that on occasion, and they bring double teams, and they freeze Towns out a little bit, and they're struggling to get efficient shots on that when when teams know that's what they're trying to do. I think it just comes down to two things. One, it's who's hot on any given day, and two, it's what is the matchup? Because if it's DeAndre Jordan on Carl Anthony Towns, it's probably not going to be Carl's 40-point game. When Wiggins is up against Luke Mbamute, it should be Wiggins' game, and then if Wiggins isn't shooting well that game, we got to reverse plans. We got to go to uh, Levine and say we're going to run you off uh, screens until you can't run off screens anymore. And it becomes a matter of I think they have to develop a couple of go-to plays and figure out what works well. Whether that's a high screen and roll between Levine and Towns, or whether that's a pick and pop between Tyus Jones and Carl Anthony Towns, or if they're isolating Wiggins on the wing, he gets the step back and he's hitting that shot on that given night. I think those are the all options that they go to, but they need to. They need to continue to move the ball because the ball stops much more when they're on these bad runs than it does when the offense is flowing, they're getting out in transition, they're setting screen rolls, they're kicking out to Gorgie for 18-footers. Those are all things that are happening when they're successful on offense. If you watch, the ball will freeze from shot clock at 13 to shot clock at 8 with Levine or Wiggins out on the wing when they're going on these bad stretches. And that'll be one where I think Rubio will have a positive benefit when he gets back in that. He will facilitate more ball rotation. He will uh, facilitate better screen and roll actions. And I know that he's not considered valuable from a scoring perspective on offense, but with as much as offense as these guys are pouring in right now, I don't. I, he doesn't need to shoot. They're they're taking up the shots and they're hitting a ridiculous percentage of shots. So while they're doing that, let him go. And then 
as Rubio is able to kind of captain the defense at the point of attack, you're not going to allow as many of the guards to get in the lane, create those rotations. That That's why Rubio was so valuable on defense for the past two years. We watched as Zach Levine tried to guard point guards out on the wing, and he would get blown right by and cause chaos at the second level of the defense. That's what Rubio does well on defense, that he doesn't let that happen. He's a pest out on the wing. And so I've been excited to see what Chris Dunn was able to do. I think he's a still a little bit over his head when he's trying to match up against the best point guards in the league. And I got to give Ty's credit. He played extremely well, especially on offense. He played high IQ defense. Guys still ran him over, but that's to be expected, especially from a second rotation guard. Is there a set play that you have in mind that they would want to go to? Is there a guy that you would favor? Would you go to the low block meticulously and then try and operate from there? What's your best plan of attack right now? You know, first of all, you touched on Tyus Jones, and, and we really do have to give credit to him because at the beginning of the season, the the big thing for them was, oh, they're going to trade Tyus Jones. There's, there are too many point guards now. Tyus Jones is going to be the odd man out. And with Rubio's injury, Tyus has stepped up, and he has done a fantastic job. Like you touched on, he does still get in over his head defensively because defensively he's just he doesn't have that physical fortitude yet to be able to take on those big guards um, the the top guards in the NBA there. So, you know, he does look lost at times, and he does get out-muscled at times, but he has played very, very well, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. He's played very smart on the defensive side of the ball, and I think what's what's really been helpful, too, is that he's not turning the ball over. I mean, he played 30 minutes last game, and he did not turn the ball over once, and that is fantastic. That is exactly what you want to see out of your point guard. You know, that's... Obviously, his numbers are never going to be comparable to, you know, the Chris Pauls, but... Those are the type of numbers. That's the one number that you you really do want to see is that zero in the turnover column, and that's something that Tyus Jones has done a lot this season. So we got to give him credit. Um, as far as the offense goes, I really think that that you can go any which way you want. I mean, I like you said, the easy thing to do is yeah, throw it to Towns, let him do his thing. But the problem is, is that it seems like at times he wants to do it so badly, he wants to be that guy that he ends up forcing a bad shot or you know a double team comes and he's I'll I'll take care of this anyway and then he forces up a shot that that has no prayer and that's something that you know he's obviously he'll get under control and he'll be able to adjust that stuff but like things like that are things that we've been seeing a lot of and stuff that frankly can't continue to happen so I would love to see love to see when when those scoring droughts begin I would love to see a guy like Wiggins just take it to the low post. I really would because you look— Agree 100%. When, when, when the Cavs are struggling to shoot, which hasn't happened very often <laughs> this season, but when they do, when they did last season and a little bit this season, LeBron takes over and he goes to the post, he takes it down low, and he takes those six, eight-foot shots just over the top, just enough, gets it in, and that, that ends the scoring drought. He's able to get a rhythm, start getting a rhythm on his offense, and that's something that— you know, not to compare Wiggins to LeBron, but that's something that Wiggins has the capability of doing, especially against weaker defenders, and that's something that we haven't seen from him. So, yes, that's something that I would love to see. I would love to see him, especially, you know, I mean, you look at, like you were touching on with Umba Mute, if they go through a scoring drought where they, you know, the Clippers jump out to a 10-0 run or something like that to start the second half, You've got a guy like Umba Mute on you. That is a matchup that Wiggins should win every time. So that is somebody who he should be able to take to the low post. Yes, he's got DeAndre down there. You know, Blake is a bigger guy, but not necessarily the greatest defender on the planet. So, you know, that 
take him down to the post and get your easy shot. Get that little turnaround jumper going because he's hit it a lot this season. He's been very efficient at it, and he's hit it a lot. So I would love to see Wiggins start taking over like that. And you know what? If they draw a double team because of it, if, if you start doing that, then that's going to leave guys like Zach Levine open. You know, Rubio, when he comes back, Gorgies, you know, he's got the ability to hit those outside shots too. So, you know, I mean, it opens up everything for everyone. So I would really, really, really like to see Wiggins start putting it, putting it down on the post a lot more. I mean, that's an outstanding point. And also we talked about his relative lack of uh, assist numbers. If there, if he starts working down in the post there, he can find the find the shooters who are hitting at ridiculous rates right now. I mean, even Towns is shooting 52% from the floor, which is outstanding, even for a, a low block guy like he is. I couldn't agree with you more that that's a great way to get things flowing uh, give guys a new look. He got efficient and incredibly good at that low block game in his rookie year when, I mean, granted there was no pressure and he was really able to do whatever he wanted, but he did develop those skills and I think that's a great way to get it going. Yeah, and not to not to jump back to LeBron comparison, but LeBron has got very high assist numbers as well, and that's part of it because you see him take it down to the low post, and obviously LeBron is a physical beast uh, in comparison to Wiggins right now, but they double team LeBron and he's able to find those open guys, you know, that's that's where he finds the the Kevin Loves, the J.R. Smiths, you know, and that's that's fantastic. But those are the those are the plays where his assist numbers go up. And that's something that we could definitely see from Wiggins if he would just do it a little bit more. The other thing that I think that they absolutely need is they need better second rotation efficiency right now because uh, guys na- not named Shabazz Muhammad, and whether you want to consider Tyus a bench player right now is up for debate, but guys not named Shabazz Muhammad looking at you, Nemanja Bielitsa, looking at you, Brandon Rush, who hasn't played as much recently, Jordan Hill barely plays at all, and of course, Cor Aldrich. They are part of the narrative that guys are running over, out-physicaling the Wolves right now. I, th- I find that interesting because Cole is a big dude, and he's not necessarily getting phys- or out-physicaled, but he's allowing guards who are playing physical to kind of have control of the paint when they make hard drives. And, you know, this, some of the fallback does come back on Wiggins and Levine, who are having trouble with more physical two guards uh, guarding those guys. Wiggins is still quite slight of frame. And I don't think that part of the narrative has been that, well, big teams are really giving them trouble. I don't think it's so much their physical size as their aggressiveness. And that's why they've had trouble con- controlling the glass. It's not because guys are running them over and skying to grab rebounds. It's because... They're more, they're quicker to the ball. They're anticipating where the ball is going. They're making more determined rim runs and runs at offensive rebounds. And I think that collectively the team needs to play with more of an edge. But especially guys off the bench need to bring a bring a bit of energy that they. I don't. It doesn't. I don't sense that they're bringing any level of energy or real livelihood that follows up good runs by the first unit and that sort of thing. I mean, is it just a matter of? Again, gelling and figuring out what they're going to do, or do we have a problem with a lot of those second unit guys outside of Shabazz aren't necessarily energy guys, and it seems like that's going to be something we're going to have to deal with for the duration of the season. That is exactly what my point was going to be, is I don't think that they're energy guys. I think we might have, you know, and again, early in the season, only seven games in, but maybe we overestimated the bench just a little bit because you look at guys like Cole Aldrich, Nemanja Bielitsa, I I can't even begin with Nemanja Bielitsa. I, he has been so frustrating this season, so frustrating, and he's been efficient at times. Defensively, he's looked so weak at times. Yes, you 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 touched on it already, but I'm gonna touch on it again. He is, his defense at times is the the poster child for 
what we or what the wolves are considered to be when they are, you know, getting run over, getting out muscled, getting out hustled, things like that. Nemanja Bialica is the picture perfect reason or the picture perfect definition of that. And it's been tough. Now, obviously, you know, it's like I said, still early in the season, but Nemanja just, oh my goodness. Um, Jordan Hill hasn't played. Brandon Rush hasn't played. This is a team that, when you know, obviously when we, we talked at the beginning of the season, we said that this bench was deeper than we had, you know, seen in years past. And they've really struggled to get it going. And I think that, you know, maybe that, that energy is what we've, what we hoped they would bring, or maybe we didn't think they needed it. I don't know, but but there's been little energy coming off of that bench. It seems like they just rotate in, they do their thing, and then they go back to the bench, and that's not going to work. It just won't because you get guys, you know, that we get these runs where, you know, you get 12-2, 12-4 runs, and you get a small lead or, you know, you build on a bigger lead. Looking at the Orlando game, you're up by 30 at one point, and then the third quarter hits, and all of a sudden, 15 points. Now it's down to 12. And then you put in the second guys, because now you have to put in your second unit, and the second unit can't generate anything. They just kind of hold stalemates, and that's not that's not going to be efficient. That's not going to help through, throughout the course of the season. So, you know, either they need to change, and they need to start providing more energy outside of Shabazz Muhammad, of course. Um, cha- start providing more energy, or they need to adjust somehow to, to better get everybody meshed together because right now there's just no energy when that second unit is in there they just kind of look lifeless at times and that's not that's not conducive to a winning atmosphere and i understand that they want to play wiggins towns and levine together but i almost want to see them experiment a little bit with staggering those guys playing levine with aldrich and maybe gorgie jang and you know filling in the spots as necessary having wiggins be the only one of the levine wiggins combo to be out there at any time so he can kind of direct the offense there i understand that having them both on the court opens up opportunities for the other one but maybe part of mitigating this runs is being more flexible with lineups and not bringing in the second unit as a shift even not even three at a time staggering two and then swapping out one more and then bringing back in a starter or something something along those lines because Bielitsa, it's interesting. You look at Bielitsa, and it's almost like you can see how he would be so successful against guys who are not quite the caliber of basketball player that they are in the NBA. Absolutely. And how he could be so good in Europe because he's he's got a semblance of a shot. He's a decent dribbler. He's got a lot of length and size. But when he's playing against grown men and unbelievably athletic and talented basketball players, he's getting blown by. He's not separating and getting open looks in the sense that he's having to take contested shots all the time. He's getting the ball stolen or tipped from him quite a bit. And so we can hold out hope that he will start and slowly figure out the NBA game maybe over the next offseason, put on a little more size. But I don't think I, I think it would be silly at this point to count on that, at least for the rest of this regular season. And he needs to be considered like the eighth guy in the rotation. I mean, if he's an eighth guy, it's not the worst thing in the world. He still has length to contest shots, but the problem is they're playing him at power forward, and guys are bowling over him. In terms of just being out, just outmanned, he does get outmanned. That's absolutely a reality. That's something that I've seen all all season, and that's something that you know it's it does not it does, there, there doesn't seem to be a real fix for it because they keep putting him at the four, and then he gets out muscled, and the guys just pound on him down there in the post, and for some reason. They just keep putting him back down there. They just keep putting him back down there. And then he gives up two or three more buckets down on the post, and then they keep putting him back down there. So is is there a better spot maybe that they could put him? I mean, what do you think? 
I, I want some of his minutes to go to Cole Aldrich. I think that's that's the answer I would give right now. Cole is big. He gets in guys' way. He's crafty about contesting shots. And th- those are all things that Bielitsa isn't doing right now. I know Bielitsa opens things up more on offense, but you got the other guys playing so dang well on offense. Let's just give those minutes to Cole Aldridge and see what happens because he's only playing a little under 13 minutes a game right now, whereas Bielitsa, for most of it, has been playing almost 20 and is down based on a little less minutes the last couple. He's under 10 the last couple games, so I think that's starting to happen. One thing I do want to touch on, and that we need to contextualize this a little bit, and let's look at the teams that they've played so far. They played Orlando, which might ha- they have way too many bigs for an NBA roster. They're trying to play Aaron Gordon at the small forward. They're going the wrong way. You want big guys, athletic guys like him to be playing power forward and playing the small ball lineups that he can operate as a big and still dribble the ball and run out in transition. They played the Ennis Cantor, Stephen Adams, Russell Westbrook, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. They played DeMarcus Cousins. They played the uh, KGB guys, or Nurkic and Jokic, in Denver. They've played big teams. It'll be interesting to see if this same narrative, and they're coming up on the Clippers, so this is not really relevant until a little bit into next week. But it'll be interesting when they get to teams like Portland and Milwaukee and Charlotte and the Knicks and those types of teams that are more wing-driven teams and not driven by huge towering brutes. Down, down low, and seeing if that they can kind of get their footing under them and do a better job of controlling the glass on both ends. Because I think if they can minimize second possessions and minimize transition looks for the other team, they'll be better able to kind of quell these runs. Because I, I just I keep going back to the Sacramento game and that Mclemore would miss, Demarcus would get a rebound, kick it back out to Mclemore, he'd do it again. Ty Lawson would get into the lane. Half turn it over, they would steal it back, kick it out to Lawson, and he'd hit a three again. I can see the plays in my head as we go along. It's those types of things that if they can minimize those and then start to get a little bit more fluid during these downturns on offense, that will be when they start to mitigate those runs where they can at least hold the line during that time, get the starter settled, get rotations going. And that We need to just be patient. We need five more games of sample size. They're going to play now more home games. They haven't played a lot in front of Target Center. I think that'll be beneficial. And Rubio's coming back. So with only one and a half games of Rubio-led uh, first units to really evaluate. It does also help to have Chris Dunn's physicality on the defensive end in the second rotation, so that'll go back to being a second unit uh, asset. I think those things will go, will drive them playing better on defense, and it'll give more. I think Chris Dunn being on the second unit adds a lot of mental toughness, physicality, and energy that it doesn't have right now. And maybe just by his pace and his energy of play, that he will drive more of that sentiment as we go along. All right. Next four games, all at home, all at home. And just looking at them, because obviously you touched on the fact that they're playing bigger teams. So the next four games for the Timberwolves, we got the Los Angeles Clippers, then the Los Angeles Lakers, then the surprise Charlotte Hornets, and then the Philadelphia 76ers to close out the homestand. As far as size goes of those four teams there, I mean, is this maybe an opportunity because... The Clippers are the Clippers, but the Lakers, I mean, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, okay. They're maybe. not big, though. They're, yeah. they're, I mean, Randall's, Randall's shorter, but he's beefy. Yep. But that yeah. doesn't, I mean, he, Gore, nothing Gorgie and Cole Aldridge can't take care exactly. of. Exactly, yeah. The Hornets. They got Kid Gilchrist, who's, uh, you know, an animal, almost literally, but they're not huge. I mean, Kaminsky, what are, we can visit revisit the stupidity of drafting Franks Kaminsky where they did. Boston offered them two first-round picks and change. Uh, that they could get up to that spot to draft Justice Winslow, and they would have had a pick where they still could have taken Frank Kaminsky. Uh, all right, off my Frank Kaminsky soapbox. 
they got rid of Al Jefferson, so they should be able to stay in front of those guys. It's still Kemba Walker still can erase all of that on any given night. But in terms of guys not getting out physical, this also does remember we got to remember that this does come down to guys like Wiggins and Levine not getting out physical by bigger wing players yep. because they're as much of a problem. I put problem in quotes. Yep. As guys down low, and they also need to box guys out. And I do give Wiggins credit; he had eight rebounds the other night. That's that will be a huge boon to controlling the glass if he can get those kinds of uh, rebounding numbers. In he's not playing outrageous minutes; he's under thirty-five minutes a game, which is very, very reasonable for a guy of his caliber and that is scoring at the rate he is right now. So if those two guys can stay in front of their guy, box their guy out, all of those good things, when we get Rubio's uh, prowess on the on both sides of the glass. Uh, especially for a point guard back in the mix. I think that these will be good barometers. Um, by the way, I am excited to see Joel Embiid come visit around here. I just hope he can stay healthy because, man, has he been fun to watch so far. Um, I, I do think we'll have a better sense of where they're at against non-gigantic teams outside of the, maybe the Clippers before next weekend. Yeah, and that was that's really the, the whole, I guess, the core of the question is, you know, this this next these next four games here, this homestand is going to be a very good indicator as to you know where this team is at because they have been playing bigger teams and now they're kind of they've they've got a small we don't want to say you know easier part of the schedule um, because by no means are the Lakers the Hornets the Sixers or the Clippers a you know walkover team by any stretch of the imagination. The Sixers still are. The Sixers have been close though they've been they've playing been, close games. They've been close, but if they can't beat the Sixers, we need to revisit what our aspirations <laughs> are for this season. Yeah, and the Sixers very well. I mean, if you lose to the Sixers, the, they don't play the Sixers until next Thursday. If you lose to the Sixers, they very well might be still on. They they might not have a win yet. So I mean, if you lose to them, then then you really do have a problem. Yep. So I mean, this this is a very favorable part of the schedule. Four games, you know, this weekend into next week. So. I think that the the biggest thing that we can do is just just let them play this homestand here. We'll see where we stand at the end of that. And I feel like, you know, if you come out of this homestand three and one, I mean that's obviously optimistic. But even if you can go two and two, I feel like that's a very good start. Obviously, depending on who you get your two wins and two losses against. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting as we now reflect on who they have played so far. The opening night loss to Memphis included Mike Conley and Marcus Saul, two high level players. The Memphis is a solid team, solid organization. John Hollinger and Tisdale, or whatever his name is, uh, have a good operation going there. So that's not a that's the way they lost was a little concerning, but the team they lost to wasn't terrible. Jaeger has the Kings playing at an organizational level that they haven't played since I don't know a decade. So again, the way they lost that was bad. But this isn't the Kings of 2013 or thereabouts, where they were about to move them away because they were terrible and they were cheap. Uh, they did end up holding on against the Magic and opening up a pretty sizable lead. Played well. Uh, Oklahoma City has been, for the most part, very, very good this year. The real one that stings a little bit is the Denver loss. Denver's not a great team. Minnesota's more talented than them across the board, and they blew a big lead against a, off- a team that's not that strong on offense. So that one bugs me, but the other ones, the other ones don't kill me necessarily. They're frustrating, but they don't kill me. 
That's why as they go, you know, LA is obviously playing much better than they're over 500, five and four. D'Angelo Russell is playing outstanding, uh, as good as he, as good as we thought he would be when he went number two last year. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. off the bench is playing well. Nick Young is focused in a way that I don't think he's ever been in his entire life. They seem to be getting along. Got to tip my hat to Luke Walton. He's got a lot of things squared away right away. So that'll be an interesting matchup of young talent versus young talent. If they can get off to a fast start, play well, and kind of kick the crap out of the Lakers, that'll be a good indication that they can take care of young teams that are talented because they are more talented. And in terms of Philadelphia, I know Embiid's awfully exciting, but they're they're still running out guys like Robert Covington and Sergio Hernandez and Dario Saric is playing a little bit, but he's still trying to get his feet wet in the NBA. These are games that if they're gonna if they're gonna be serious about being a fringe playoff team still this year, I know they've dug themselves a hole, but especially now since you have dug dug a hole a little bit, they need to go ahead and win these games. They need to take a three and one stretch that would put them back at what uh, five and five and six. Yeah, five and six. So I mean, then you're putting yourself around five hundred, and you're not even a quarter way through the year. That's acceptable. That's perfectly fine. And it'll come down to I think the I think you'll see a familiar story in a couple of these games. Maybe not in the Clipper game, but in these games that they'll they'll swing out a big lead. Maybe not a big lead, but a sizable lead. And it'll become a matter of are we now figuring out how to hold on to these leads? Are we figuring out what the combinations are, what the offensive sets and the defensive discipline is that we are able to stop these teams that we perceive ourselves and think that we are going to be and currently are better than. And when we reevaluate after next week, we'll see if we got there. All right. Let's, let's, let's close on this then. This is something that we can kind of look forward to here, the, the upcoming homestand. But from, from your perspective, give us one thing that you would like to see from the Wolves in this homestand. Obviously, you touched on a lot, um, you know, obviously the, the coming out, just closing games, beating young teams that, you know, we're supposed to beat. But what are what are what is one big thing that you want to see from them in this four game stretch? It's kind of been the theme of the whole thing, but I want to see the runs against them to be twelve to two versus twenty one to three. And if you want something more specific than that, I want to see them hold. I want to see them hold teams under hundred points three out of four games, and that's going to be tough against LA because they like to run. Uh, the Clippers don't run as much though; they play a more methodical pace. So they should be able to do it against the Clippers. If the Clippers run up 100 points, it means that they're playing ultra-efficient basketball and they played like crap on defense again. And that would, you know, that that's exactly the opposite direction of what they want to go. So in particular, specifically, hold three of the four teams under 100. I don't really care which team goes over 100. I predict that it's most likely to be the Lakers. But, I mean, how about you? What do you want to see? You know, I, I would really like to see just them taking control in the third quarter. I really want to see that because... <clears throat> Obviously, you can you can talk about the defense, and and the defense is has been I don't want to say terrible, but it it's been lacking this season. I mean, every team that has played Minnesota has scored over a hundred, with the exception of the Memphis Grizzlies. Without Marcus All, without Mike Connolly, that's kind of a throwaway. So. Obviously, I'd like to see them improve defensively, but the biggest thing I want to see in this four game stretch is I want to see them close the third quarters. I want to see them get in there. Not not even allow the runs. You know, obviously basketball is a game of runs, and teams are going to make theirs, and that's fine. But rather than have it be a massive twenty-one to three run, like you were saying, you know, shorten the runs, but don't don't stop the scoring. I think that's the biggest thing. Is you know, obviously you want to look at it from the defensive side, and that's that's great. I'm looking at it at the offensive side, saying 
when these runs start to happen, when it hits eight to one or eight to two run, or even a ten to two run, who is going to step up and be like, you know what, we're not going to do this again? Is it going to be Wiggins taking it to the post? Is it going to be Carl Anthony Towns taking it down low? Is it going to be Levine hitting a three, or maybe somebody off the bench? You know, is Tyus going to take over? Is it going to be Shabazz? Somebody has to get in there offensively and stop these runs and help keep Minnesota's offense going during these times where they're playing poor defense. So that's the biggest thing I want to see in this four-game stretch. I think that's a astute analysis, and I think it's a good place to wrap it up for today. So for all of our content, KFAN.com, we will let you know what written pieces and continued audio pieces come out. The Wolves obviously travel to Target Center, so not so much traveling as driving over but they head to Target Center on Saturday night to take on the Los Angeles Clippers of Anaheim. And we will get a good barometer to where they stack up against one of the NBA's elite because they are the preeminent force right now through eight games in the NBA. Uh, stay tuned for that. It'll be an interesting test. We will review all of the action of the next week as we talked about uh, going forward. If you want to get a hold of us in the interim, I'm on Twitter at ZK for Trey. That's Z-K-F-O-R-T-R-E. Alex, how can they reach you? Alex P. Sean at Alex P. Sean. That's A-L-E-X-P-S-H-U-N. Hit us up with any questions you might have, uh, topics that you want might want us to discuss, anything of that uh, persuasion. Until next time, though, uh, stay classy basketball fans, and we'll talk to you next week, hopefully with good things to say about third-quarter performances.